Thank you for listening to a special episode of the SoFlo Vegans podcast. Hello, my name is Sean Russell, host and founder of the SoFlo Vegans podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Victoria Moran, Renee Kingsonen, and Susan Hargreaves to discuss communicating with family and friends after going vegan. This episode comes from a panel we conducted back in April 2020 during our first live expo. This was a three-day virtual event featuring 19 different panels and over 30 guests. Consider becoming a member to access all of these video panels at SoFloVegans.com slash expo. Also in this episode, we feature a clip from Hodo Foods founder, Min Tsai. This clip is to celebrate the contributions of the Asian American community in light of the tragic massacre that took place in Atlanta. Historically, the Asian American community has been overlooked when it comes to hate crimes and systemic racism. Be sure to check out the show notes to discover different ways you can show your support now for the Asian community as incidents of hate crimes continue to be at an all-time high in the United States. Also, be sure to stick around until the end of the episode to hear some exciting announcements and ways to win some cool prizes. So enjoy today's episode of the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. You are listening to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. We're excited to have this amazing panel joining us today to give you all tips on how to communicate with the people that are in your lives, whether they're your family, your friends, or people that maybe you come across the street and they want to know about all it is that the vegan lifestyle entails. I know that's a lot of information, but we have the perfect panel for that. So I want to start off by introducing to my left, we have Renee Kingsonen, who we've had on our podcast before in the past. She runs the nonprofit Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sure thing. I'm glad to be here. And then right below um, Renee, we have Susan Hargraves and Lovey. Don't want to leave out Lovey. And, and, Susan, <laughs> and Susan is the founder of the nonprofit organization Animal Hero Kids, as well as being an uh, animal rights activist for over 40 years. So thank you so much for coming on and being so much support for SoFlo Vegans and myself throughout the years. Uh, I can't stop saying that anytime your name comes up. So thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Sean, for organizing this wonderful event. And then last but definitely, definitely not least, we have Victoria Moran, who I've met on several occasions. And each time that I've met you, you've been um, one of the nicest people in the room and you, and I see all the, the, the books that you've written, the podcast, all the media that you're putting out, your master classes, everything that you do for the vegan community to spread awareness. I greatly and deeply appreciate it. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity to um, speak with you on this panel. Thank you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get started with a very easy softball question. If someone wants to 
go vegan and they have pressure from their family, what are some really, because I've heard some of your stories in the past, um, some of the obstacles that you've come across, what would be your top piece of advice for them um, to get over that obstacle? And we'll go with um, Victoria first. Sure. Your life is your life and your decisions will go with you as long as you're here and maybe after that. So if you want to do this, if it's something that you believe is important for your ethical well-being, for your health, whatever your motivation, this is yours to do. And of course, you want to be respectful of people who are worried that if you change, you're going to be somebody they don't recognize. This might be a little bit of a difficult transition for them, and we need to show them as much compassion as we show animals and everybody else, but don't let them stop you. Mm. And Renee? Uh, I would believe that the main obstacle is our own self. I mean, um, when I really look at the the four years it took for me to go vegan, my biggest fear was the fear of what my family would think and the fear of what my husband uh, would think, the fear of, there's just so many fears involved. And it's really, it's really irrational when we think of it from the perspective of the animals. Uh, it's just irrational. And so my biggest obstacle, I really do believe is myself. If, uh, if I was gonna tell anyone, you know, really listen to your own inner guidance. Uh, a lot of times we're afraid that people are gonna react uh, because they will probably, but they get over it. I mean, if we, if we really live uh, to our dearest and best self, if we live to our, in our best self and make decisions from who we are, people eventually line up. And so, you know, the main thing is just to put one foot in front of the other, make the decision and stay 100% committed. And I promise you, things will line up. Maybe not in maybe not in one day, two days, next week, or even one year, but it will happen. And, and Susan? Um, uh, of course, I agree with everyone. And the <laughs> fact is that... Uh, once you decide that you want to make the compassionate decision to change your life where you're not funding animal cruelty and that's your conscience has spoken to you for whatever reason, whether it be animal cruelty, climate crisis, um, health, your own health, you're taking care of you. And uh, just as Renee says, if, if your family, uh, I mean, I've been vegan since 1985, and still uh, my family sometimes is surprised, which you've got to wonder about your family sometimes. I think sometimes they're the last bastion. So don't worry about your family. Just worry about you and your own health. And uh, as, if anybody's ever heard of that rhyme, the ancient mariner, that old rhyme about the uh, fellow that killed the um what is that bird called albatross albatross and he was he was destined after that he was he had to he was compulsion his compulsion was to tell everybody about this terrible thing about not killing the albatross he had no choice and that's what happens a lot of times when people first become vegan your compulsion is to tell everyone you meet in the street 
This is what because you think you must not know what's happening or else just like me, I didn't know what was happening. So, so listen, um, this is what's happening. And sometimes that can get on people's nerves. You're like a mirror and they're like, get, get back. Somebody said that the first uh, social distancing many years ago was just saying that you're vegan. <laughs> get back. Get away. So, so it really is that, though, just a matter of everybody getting used to you, you know. Um, it was harder for me to come out being vegan to my family because they thought, oh, no, you're never going to be normal than actually coming out as a, as a lesbian later on. They're like, okay, that, you know. <laughs> you're just, forget it. We give up. <laughs> so... So we started off, we jumped right in and we started um, answering questions as far as how to help other people. But I want to take a step back and let's explore some of, what are some of the things that we went through when we first went vegan, some obstacles that we came across, because people might be able to resonate with that. So um, Susan, what, um, what you kind of talked a little bit about it, but what was some of the things that, what were some of the things that popped up for you when you went vegan that you might be able to share with other people? Well, it's actually still happening. So you, you would think, um, it was my 50th birthday, I'm 60 now, but it was my 50th birthday and I met my dad. He's not on Facebook, I'm watching this so I can say this. <laughs> wife, my brother and my brother's uh, girlfriend and my nephew, they all wanted to buy me lunch for my 50th birthday. So we meet at a Latin place and do you think after being vegan for so many years and it's my 50th birthday that they would have perhaps not ordered dead animals? Do you think mm -hmm. that could have perhaps crossed their mind? No, no, everybody ordered, except my stepmom, Pauline, everybody ordered dead birds and parts of animals. And so here it is, my 50th birthday, happy birthday, do you know who I am? You know, you think you could just miss one meal. So it still is a challenge. You know, it it still is a challenge. As I say, family is your last bastion. But then you've I meet people that I knew many, many years ago that I really, at the time, I was annoying to them just by existing as a vegan. Mm -hmm. And I meet them like 30 years later and they say, oh, I went vegan like 10 years ago because of you or and a former roommate from the 80s is like, oh, I've been vegan for years and now I make uh, vegan hummus and I sell it in the health food stores. And and, uh, and I listened to it and I thought, well, that's so funny because at the time you hated me. <laughs> you didn't want to hear it. But so times have changed. Having said all that, times have changed and people are way more receptive. Than before and people know what that word means vegan so we're really um fortunate to be in this time people um uh, mm -hmm. way more you know even my family and what about you victoria well i'm a vegan of about the same vintage as, as susan i'm 10 years older but only two years older as a vegan and then it was a very different world people didn't really know what it was. 
I, I say to people that at that time, being vegetarian was sort of like being Mennonite. You know, if you meet somebody and they're Mennonite, you know, they're very religious and, you know, you get a kind of sense of, of who you're talking to. But if you were to meet somebody Amish, well, for one thing, you probably would never meet anybody Amish unless you're a tourist in Pennsylvania. That's just considered so out there. They speak a different language. They don't use electricity. And that's what vegans were like in 1983. Now, I had been trying to be vegan for a really long time because I went vegetarian in 1969. So mm -hmm. I was involved with vegans, what few vegans there were, uh, with uh, Jay and Freya Dinshaw of the American Vegan Society, to whom I, I would love to give the American Vegan Society a wonderful shout out because they are still there. But back when I was trying to do this in my youth, they were all there was. There was no PETA. There was no PCRM. You know, there was the American Vegan Society, the end. And the way that they treated me is very much the way that I want to um, treat and, and come off to people who are kind of veg curious or maybe just kind of not curious and just looking at this from the outside and not knowing what to make of it because they always treated me as a vegan and I, I'd be vegan for a while and then I'd fall off. I was dealing with a binge eating disorder and I just had a hard time making it from vegetarian to vegan back then, but they never gave up on me. They always treated me as if I was a vegan and they believed in me until I could believe in myself. So that was one difference. Another difference back then was that there just weren't vegan convenience foods like we have now. So the downside of that was that going vegan really did mean giving up a whole lot of stuff. I mean, we didn't have cheese. We didn't have milk. We didn't have ice cream. We didn't have all the stuff like we have now. I mean, the upside, of course, was that just about everybody then, if you went vegan, you were pretty much what today is called whole food plant-based because basically it was vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. That's what we had. I mean, there were potato chips and Coca-Cola, but most of us were too interested in those. So we all got pretty healthy pretty quick. Um, and, you know, then, like now, that was a draw. Because people generally, people who aren't interested necessarily in animals, who maybe aren't thinking much about the planet or world hunger or any of these other very important reasons uh, for going vegan, they do start to think about doing something. If the doctor says you need diabetic medication, you need heart disease medication, something like that. And so we were able to make some converts that way. But I think we had to be at that time very polite and kind of condescending because there were so few of us and we were seen, I'm sure you remember this, Susan, as just so odd. And in some ways it was so odd that people were a little bit respectful just because if you're going to do something that weird, you must be doing something right. Mm. Okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, Renee? Well, you know, uh, I went vegan um, October 31st, 2014 on Halloween. So uh, it's been it's been scary ever since. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, you know, what I what I, <laughs> what I know is that, um, you know, I being married to a cattle rancher, 
uh, there was nothing normal about me going vegan. It was about the most abnormal decision that I have ever made in my life. Uh, the, the repercussions of that experience, I had no idea the backlash that was going to happen. You know, I, I often kid, you know, about, you know, people will ask me oftentimes, well, tell me how you run a, you know, you start a sanctuary. Tell me how you, you know, if I was wanting to do this, how would, how would I do it? I'm like, don't do it the way I did. You know, uh, the last thing I would want anybody to do is do it the way I did it. But, you know, something was right in the air that day. Uh, the forces that be were, were with us, you know, were with me because, you know, what happened with me was a complete revolution of my husband's heritage. And so, you know, I was just that type of vegan type of person. When I went vegan, it was like, it was on. I mean, for four years, I was, I had tolerated things that I didn't want to tolerate. I didn't even really know I was going vegan because my vegan advocate was Rowdy Girl, the cow. I mean, she really was the one that set things in motion for me. It wasn't like somebody with a sign or something I saw on, you know, on, on YouTube or anything, it was a cow. And so, uh, as a result of that, I just, um, started having this affinity for these animals that I used to eat and, uh, you know, and I'm married to a cattle rancher. And so, I mean, I was told when I went vegan, I was in a cult. My mother was like, Renee LaVon, you are married to a cattle rancher. How dare you go against your husband's uh, livelihood and his and his way of life? You are a horrible person to do that. You know, I mean, I was just like, and I was like, well, so be it, because this is the way it is. And so, you know, I really, you know, what I did at that time is I started hanging out with the cows more than I did my husband. And I just really got to know them. And... <laughs> I hung out with them. I, when wherever they walked, I walked. When they sat down, I sat down. When they, you know, when they laid down, I laid down. And you know, I got to really know things that I never ever knew before. And um, it's amazing. This life, now, the life that I know now. I just wish I'd. I wish I'd have been taught this. You know, it needs to be taught in schools. It needs. We need this education on TV. I mean, it needs to be instead of being taught all this bull crap that we get on TV every day, inundated with, you know, I, I look forward to the day when our movement uh, somehow can saturate, you know, the media, uh, because that's what we need to do. I mean, we've got to saturate the minds and, you know, and so, you know, I'm glad I'm vegan. I wish I'd have done it sooner. And speaking of education, that's what Animal Hero Kids does. We educate children in schools about being kind to all animals. And uh, because most children have no idea that they're eating other animals. They love other animals. And so every presentation, uh, we conclude it with vegan fare. And it's very positive. And they learn about all the other kids their own age who are helping all species of animals. Cats, dogs, cows, chickens, birds, wildlife. And that's uh, that's what needs to uh, definitely expand. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the public shift that we need to see it, to have education in the schools. Not just a one-off, 
but something across the board. And that's why we are, I'll do a little plug here. That's why Animal Hero Kids wants to get this book into every school library, which is full of wonderful stories of kids helping animals. And one of the kids um, is from a 4-H club. And um, you might rec recognize her, Renee. Um, Gizmo, yeah, Gizmo was saved um, from a 4-H project that uh, that now lives very happily at Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. And I just learned something, Renee, from you. I didn't realize that Rowdy Girl was named after a cow. I thought you were the Rowdy Girl. <laughs> she is. <laughs> yeah, hey, we are twins. We are twins. We are, we are twin souls, I promise you. She speaks through me and I speak through her. Well, also to follow up with uh, what Renee was talking about media, I mean, this has probably already come up uh, this weekend, Sean, but I just posted this morning, I am happily married, but I have just fallen in love with Bill Maher. Because, oh, anybody who, who did not watch uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, find it online. He does this five-minute soliloquy about how the time has come to stop eating animals, to stop harming animals, because even if you don't care about animals, it is going to kill you. And this is a message Woo! that you have to get out there. He also had Dr. David Katz on, who's a former president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, plant-based doctor. And I don't know about you guys, but I have not been seeing our guys on any of these networks. I've seen everybody else with a medical degree uh, since the coronavirus thing has been coming. But we need to be out there and be part of this conversation because we need to stop killing animals. We need to stop wildlife trafficking. We need to stop factory farming. And we need to eat in a way that gives us a decent immune system so that when things do come down the pike, we have the strength to, to deal with them. There's just no reason not to do this in 2020. And I love how he underlined in his talk that uh, China's wet markets exist in America. Mm. And houses there it's all from overcrowding other species of animals all of the super germs and it's amazing how many people have no idea about this so talk about education renee it does need to uh, get out there way more on the on all media you know yeah that's the uh Absolutely. and um i want to i want to give a shout out to victoria moran because i you and Cleveland Amory were, and Peter Singer were the only people that had any books out about helping animals when, when I first became vegan. And uh, it really uh, helped me not to feel um, alone. And, and it was the art of compassion, is that what it was called? Oh, uh, compassion, the ultimate ethic. Yeah, that was actually a college thesis. And what was really interesting about that, I went to college late, so I was 30, and I earned this fellowship and I could do foreign study. I could study anything, anywhere, as long as I left North America to do it and the school would pay for it, but they had to approve the 
subject matter. So I decided to go to the UK and study vegans because at that time there were so few vegans in the US that this school, this university of higher learning would actually pay to send me across an ocean to study vegans in Great Britain where the vegan movement had started. So there were more of them and they were closer together and I was able to do that research. And one of the coolest things that happened over there, something that inspired me then and continues to inspire me whenever I think about it, was I met some of the people who were early in the vegan society back in the 1940s. And by the time I was there in the 80s, you know, they were quite elderly. But when they went vegan, they didn't know what would happen. You know, nowadays you can say, well, gosh, not only are you going to save animals, but you're going to lower your cholesterol and all the rest. They didn't know anything then. And this woman, I remember her name was Kathleen Janaway. She was secretary of the vegan society. And she said, we didn't know if our bones would disintegrate or if we would perish in a fortnight. We did this out of pure disinterested compassion. And I just heard that and it's like, I want to be you when I grow up. So yeah, that was compassion, the ultimate ethic. And not a whole lot of people read it way back then. I'm glad oh, you can see it. Thank you. What year was that, that that book came out? It, it came out in 19... 85. I had initially written it in 1981 as the um, the paper that I had to write for the fellowship. And then it was serialized by the American Vegan Society with the understanding that I wouldn't do anything with it until they finished with it. So that took four years. And then there was a lovely man and anybody listening, I've seen a lot of names pop up here, people that I know are vegans and are into all this kind of stuff. So you might wanna do the research and look up a wonderful man named John Wynn Tyson, W-Y-N-N-E-T-Y-S-O-N. And he put together this incredible anthology of all these quotations from people throughout history about our responsibility to animals and he was a lovely man and he acted uh, he's still alive he's quite elderly and he acted as my uh, literary agent and and got me a publisher for that book um way back when and and i want to take awesome. this moment i want to take yep. this moment as people are commenting and leaving and asking questions this is an interactive panel yep. so we want to be able to have you ask questions for anyone that's on this panel. And we actually going to start off with our first question from Harris Max. And this one's for Renee. So hey, um, have you gotten your mom, has your, got your mom to eat more vegan meals? And this is for Renee. Oh, hi, Harris. Uh, absolutely. I've gotten my mother to eat more vegan meals. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, you would think that my mother would be vegan. I mean, but oh, no. Uh, I go to my mother's house and when I open up the refrigerator, there's spam, there's eggs, there's cheese, there's milk, there's, ah, I mean, my mother, you know, eats that stuff. But when I'm there, she eats whatever I fix her. She loves the food I fix. Uh, when we go out to eat, she knows that she's got to eat vegan. She just says, pick what you want me to eat, Renee, because I've set the stage for my mother and my family, quite frankly. If they want me to eat with them, they're going to eat vegan or I'm going to go to another table. This is just my decision, a decision I made, uh, quite frankly, when I started realizing that I couldn't participate uh, in the Thanksgiving meals around uh, our family because I couldn't sit at the table 
with uh, with the bird in the middle of the with the of the table when I had turkeys at home. It just uh, it just killed me. So I made a decision and I've stuck to it. My mother, you know, was would still try to push the envelope. I mean, uh, but she has really really done a lot better. She loves the food. She's just 80 and doesn't know. She doesn't want to change. She doesn't want to figure out what to buy at the store. You know, she's always bought macaroni and cheese by, you know, she's always bought the same brands, all that. Yeah. And, uh, shout out to my mom, who's really mainly vegan now. And, and so uh, he changed as well. So that's good. Okay, I'll do a mom thing. Awesome. <laughs> My mother, uh, shortly before she passed away and in her late 80s, she said, you know, we used to think you were crazy eating that tofu and doing that yogurt, doing that yoga. <laughs> but now people's doctors tell them to do that. So after many, many years, I was vindicated by my mother's internist. <laughs> So I mean, and you know the fact that the fact that we're in this COVID crisis mm -hmm. and everybody's at home, it's a lot easier to talk to Mama now. I mean, when I'm on the phone with my Mama now, man, I'm just like, well, you know, Mama, that that God you worship, He's punishing all humanity, right? I mean, because she's all up into that, right? And mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's like you know, I get to have a lot more serious conversations with my mother now because of this. And yeah. for each of you, I mean. This panel is amazing only because you, you, you're all doing um, different things, but for the same reason. How has, and you mentioned a little bit with COVID-19, how has that impacted um, your ability to communicate in general? Because um, I know a communication platform is important to all three of you. So Victoria, I'm starting with you. How has the situation shifted you? Sure. Well, certainly the internet is wonderful. It does enable us to get out there and reach people all over the world. I've been doing something every morning of, uh, of April. I call it Enchanted April uh, on Facebook. I do a Facebook Live that, that set out really to just inspire people because in addition to writing several vegan books, I've also written inspirational books. And so I, I post a little inspirational quotation and then I go live with the complete intention to talk about the inspirational quote, but I always get into something vegan. Because the truth to me is nowadays, I mean, the most inspirational thing, the most motivational thing, the most important thing any of us can do is go vegan. Now, that doesn't mean that this COVID thing has not made several things very, very difficult. So um, my primary outreach is my Main Street Vegan podcast that has not been affected. And we have been making a one episode every week, um, the COVID-19 related, lots of wonderful uh, physicians and, and researchers. We had a wonderful um, interior designer uh, just this past week who was on talking about cleaning and how you can clean everything even now and you don't need Clorox, you don't need anything tested on animals. So I've been doing that, but my, my primary business is Main Street Vegan Academy, which is a wonderful, magical program in New York City that trains vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. But oops, we're not getting together in New York City these days. So the first two courses of, of 2020 uh, had to be canceled. And, you know, I'm praying that the uh, late July course will go, that the October course will go. But I don't know. And so the interesting thing about this time, the challenging thing about this 
time is that I have to figure every day, what can I do today to do the most for this movement, to save the most animals with what I've got to work with right now? I have a book proposal out in the world that I just think would really reach out a lot into the non-vegan world and make converts, but I don't know what's happening in publishing right now. So uh, it's it's really interesting, but I, I think all of us, certainly all of us on this panel and so many of the names that I, I know of, of the people who are watching is we're gonna get out there and save animals no matter what, or if we can't get out there, we'll stay in here and save animals no matter what. And then Susan? Well, uh, with Animal Hero Kids, we've done um, the Animal Hero Kids answer to COVID, a great video that um, in a fun way opens up people's minds to the fact that if we weren't eating animals, we wouldn't have COVID and we wouldn't have these super viruses. And when this first happened, I was standing in my grocery store. This was when before everybody was locked down and and everything was empty on the shelves and I saw someone I knew that from the neighborhood that I know you know she rides horses she's definitely not vegan and uh, it's a long story but I just basically looked at her put my arms like this at all the empty shelves and I said we wouldn't be having this quite loudly is the stage voice we, we wouldn't be in this situation if you didn't eat animals if everybody didn't eat animals and i thought i think i better calm down they're going to call security but that's that's a, an opportunity for us to underline it so i was set for the animal hero kids tour because the animal hero kids book now is out on an ebook and to promote it to um, do more school presentations more kids in person on an Animal Hero Kids tour, a worldwide tour, London, uh, Vancouver, all over. And that of course is not happening right now. <laughs> so now I have found that I have to use technology way more than before. I've just learned now not to go up really close, like to the really, really close to the camera. So I'm learning how to use technology way more to get the message out, which actually reaches more people. So we're doing the World Animal Hero Kids Month, which is global. So um, it's ironic that this, this disaster has forced me to be more effective technology and social media wise and to reach more people because we have to use what we have. The animals cannot wait for us to, to learn how to do uh, social media better. They're, they can't wait. And so we're using it, and I'm using I can speak for myself, as much as I can. I'm really expanding my toolbox in, the, in these times. And it is an opportunity for everyone to say, hey, where do you think these germs came from? Hmm. What about you, Renee? You know, the whole COVID experience for me over here with the, uh, at the sanctuary has been awesome. It's been sublime for me. Um, I've been able to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm writing my book finally, you know, and I'm working with a wonderful woman by the name of Dr. Kay Bradshaw that's written, you know, five or six books. And her latest one is, uh, you know, talking with bears. It's a book, um, 
written by Charlie Russell and she's the ghostwriter for, and she is, it's just the, the thrill of writing my own book now, right? Finally, and having somebody do that with me uh, during COVID. It's like, this has brought everything into perspective for me. Um, I had to cancel many, you know, multiple uh, trips like many people did because I had speaking engagements all over. And what I've found is I'm doing it right here at home. It's not costing me any money. <laughs> it's not costing me to fly. And, you know, and I get to spend a lot more time with the animals and I get to develop, you know, more protocols with animal care. Uh, I, I just, there's, there, you know, me and my husband have, uh, those of you that don't know, you know, we have the Rancher Advocacy Program and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, diligence, diligently with, uh, you know, converting, you know, a former chicken farmer and cattle rancher into a mushroom farm. And we just, and that's all about to, all about to launch, you know, within the next few weeks. And so that's going on since I've been off COVID night um, during COVID. We got a veganic garden, uh, a beautiful garden. You know, I'm eating fresh spinach, fresh broccoli today, just right out of the ground, you know, uh, onions, potatoes, green beans, lettuces, kale, chard, you name it. I don't have to even go to the store. It's right here. And, uh, you know, I'm figuring all that out. I'm having, uh, you know, doing a lot more live streams on our members only group. You know, we have a, a members only uh, group where we do our live stream every Sunday. And then I'm trying to figure out what to do with a webinar. You know, I'm going to, I've never done a webinar, but I'm going to start a webinar series in May. That's my commitment. I know nothing about it, never <laughs> done it, but I'm going to learn. So <laughs> we're all in the same boat here, I think. And, and are there any things right now that maybe some new skills that you've learned, um, you, um, all of you've mentioned a few that you're excited to keep continue to continue after everything goes back to normal i use quotation marks because do we really want to go back to normal uh, i think there's opportunities for it to change for the better but um once things adjust let's use that word um are there any like one or one or two things that you are excited to continue doing once you can actually go out and meet people and connect well like i said before and thanks very much to sean russell for helping me to navigate more technology in the, in getting the message out about being kind to all animals and going vegan. That is definitely one of the things that I'm definitely going to be continuing to use. And these live Facebooks where you can have all the different screens and everything, it was Sean and Jane Elizabeth with Jane Unchained that has uh, really taught me about how to use that. And this is an absolutely great medium um there was a, a case of river the cow that was emaciated and stuck in in uh, in mud up to her shoulders in um cattle florida cattle country uh for three days being completely ignored and um the live facebook and the facebook post motivated people to go out in the middle of nowhere and rescue her and then we could do like a six person wrap up of the situation and how you can help all using this. This I think levels the playing field. The having access to media like this levels the playing field. Um, I know that the meat and the dairy industries have a lot of money and they just got a lot more money thanks to our tax dollars. 
and um, they're actually getting just pouring out the milk because 42% of households today have plant milks in it. They don't have to be vegan. They have the 42%, not to say they don't have to be vegan, but these are non-vegan households that have this plant milk in their fridges. So we're in the middle of change and this social media, and I, I'm definitely gonna be more and more proficient on on this. I'm going, I'm determined to master this, but I've already learned not to put my left nostril like right about here. what what about what about you renee what's one thing that you are going to continue after this every everything's done well i'm definitely going to continue uh doing the 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 live feeds i love it uh i think uh i wish i'd have bought stock in zoom um (laughs) but everybody does um you know, one of the things I've been doing, and uh, Susan, uh, Victoria, I would love for to engage with you all around this after this show, and even you, Sean, if you have a book. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading. I have a, um, it's called the Rowdy Reading Corner, mm-hmm. and every Friday night at 7.30, I, I've been reading uh, a book. Uh, the book I'm reading right now is called uh, The Dog Who Ate the Vegetable Garden and Helped Save the Planet. Or something like that and it's so cute it's written from the perspective of a, a boxer and his name is dory and so uh every every friday night at 7 30 from 7 30 to 8 i read and the followers are coming on they're loving this and so but i'm very animated you know so i'm you know i'm this dog named dory and, you know and of course the author's like god i've never heard dory with the texas twang <laughs> She says, I just love it. And so, you know, I'm going to keep doing that. I definitely am going to keep my rowdy reading corner going. It's a lot of fun. Victoria, I would love to read anything you might have. Susan, your book, Animal Hero Kids. I could, you know, um, what got me started on the rowdy reading corner was a couple of years ago. uh, I read the book World Peace Diet by Dr. Will Tuttle. And I was so blown away by his book that I wanted to read it again. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to read this to my followers. And I read the whole book uh, every single day, every morning at 9.30 a.m. I read to my followers and they just ate it up, loved it. And so I will continue the Rowdy Reading Corner for sure. And then Victoria? Yeah, well, I'm going to actually have one that's very practical and one that's a little bit more on the character side. So um, practically, I have always been very proud of Main Street Vegan Academies being an in-person program. So people come to New York. We've had almost 500 people from 29 countries come, spend six powerful, intensive days with our incredible faculty, taking fabulous field trips to New York City businesses, because this really is kind of Disneyland for vegans. And it's so powerful to be in a life-changing experience with other people. There was some British futurist that said that, Uh, value of content has rapidly been replaced by the value of breathing the same air. Well, that was all great till a couple of months ago. Now we don't want to breathe the same air quite so much right now. And yet I've always thought, you know, 
people would say, why don't you make an online course? And I would say, no, if you want to go to Harvard, you get yourself to Massachusetts. And if you want to go to Main Street Vegan Academy, you get yourself to New York. And, and I still think that. So we're always going to be in person in New York once things get back to normal, hopefully by the summer. And in addition, we're going to do a Zoom option because there are people who can't get here. I have learned this from people who are pregnant and just people who cannot get to New York. And so that's going to be cool. And that's a big, uh, big growth for me to even understand that there was a kind of midway point between in-person and just an online course where you just sit there and there's no interaction at all. So that's cool. But the other thing for me is that I've been working a lot with courage and fear because I am in New York City, the epicenter of this thing. I am of the age where I really shouldn't get it. And so it's been interesting to walk my dog, to go down the hall to do laundry, to go downstairs to pick up a delivery and put on the hazmat gear and do all these things that just seem like going out onto a battlefield. Mm. And so I want to take what I've been doing to create more courage to live successfully and, and effectively in this time period and put that courage into my vegan activism. So I, I have this successful podcast for eight years, but when people say, well, why don't you try to get on? And then they name some big celebrity. I'm kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm quite there. You know what? It doesn't matter if I'm there. <laughs> I'm going to use that same courage that today gets me in the mask and the glasses and the gloves to walk my dog um, to reach out to those people. Because, you know, there is truly nothing that I think those of us who are on this call right now would not do to further this cause and save these animals, even if it's scary. Right. And 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 I'm so happy to hear that not even just the people that are in this panel, but a lot of people that I'm coming across are picking up new skills and they're learning how to be more effective, be effective communicators rather. Because I think at the core of being able to speak to a family or a loved one, it's also figuring out what's the best platform for you that you can continue on a consistent basis putting out your message, whether it's writing books, whether it's a podcast, video series, Zoom call. Um, I think we're, we have the time now to dabble into these technologies. And what I want to just reiterate to everybody that's listening or watching, well, I say watching, leave your comments or your questions. We definitely want to um, ask the panel, but in a little bit of winding down, we talked a lot about what you can do to communicate, even shared some stories, but let's know a little bit more about the people on this panel. You know, this is your opportunity to let our audience know what you're currently working on, what they, how they can support, because we have a couple of nonprofits on here, how they can support you. So this is your opportunity. So we're going to go ahead and start with Victoria. Okay, well, I'm not a nonprofit like a 501c3, but I think like everybody during COVID, <laughs> I'm kind of nonprofit. Um, <laughs> but the things that I would love to do to connect with the people that I don't know yet um, who are on this call, thank you so much for being part of this, is my website is MainStreetVegan.net. And everything that I do now came from a book that I wrote in 2012 called Main Street Vegan. And that book needs to be revised. All the ethical parts, all the philosophical parts, evergreen. Now that stuff does not change. 
But when I was writing that book in 2011, we didn't have Beyond Burgers. I mean, there was just so much, the world has so changed uh, for veganism just in this eight years, but they just reprinted 30,000 new copies. And so I would love to do a revised edition, but you need to sell a whole lot of books between now and then. So that's something I could use. Um, please listen to the Main Street Vegan podcast. We've got a Main Street Vegan podcast listeners group on, on Facebook. So uh, just check us out, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, I've got a little free uh, e-guide for subscribers. It's called Your Little Immuno Guide and Soul Soothing Tips. For right now, I think we're probably looking for both. So thanks. I just love to hear from everybody. And if you are a vegan who's looking to up your game and take it to the professional level, please check out Main Street Vegan Academy. Thanks so much. And then uh, Renee? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, you can find our what we're doing on, on a few places. Uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary uh, org is our website. Uh, we uh, also have a website, uh, Rancher Advocacy dot org, and uh, we are on uh, social media across the board. Uh, it's uh, we're on social media and on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter for both Rowdy Girl Sanctuary and the Rancher Advocacy Program. I'm on YouTube. Uh, I have a, another Facebook page called Vegan Journal of a Rancher's Wife, which is where it all began for me. Before I, I uh, mean, the right when I went vegan, I started this journal and you can find a lot about about everything there. It's a, it's, it's a much different platform. But anyway, that's, uh, that's about it. I'm, uh, I'm kind of spread out. And what about you, Susan? So um, World Animal Hero Kids Month in October, that is Animal Hero Kid-tober, is for all ages to participate in globally. And that we already have Brazil, Canada, um, parts of Africa, and a lot of places in the United States that are participating. And that is individuals in their own community, no matter how old you are, approaching your city commission or county, your city council or county commissioners and ask them to proclaim it Animal Hero Kids Day or Animal Hero Kids Month. You're more successful with day. We, Animal Hero Kids, will help you get vegan food donated from local restaurants to feed your local government, your local commissioners. It will be good media for you, as well as, of course, the animals and going vegan. And we're asking kids from all over, kids and teens, and even some adults, if you want, to read this Animal Hero Kids book and some of the uplifting stories in the book to uh, animals in shelters, uh, dogs and cats in need of homes, or your local sanctuary, perhaps Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, have kids come in and read the stories. And we are going to help with the news releases. This is the going to be the biggest World Animal Hero Kids Month yet because educating and inspiring youth is the preventative solution to animal abuse and animal cruelty and apathy. Currently, we have a tap that is running and out of that tap is coming all of this animal abuse. We need to turn off the tap and the way to turn off that tap is education and that's kindness education. 
And that's what Animal Hero Kids does. And we need your help at animalherokids.org. And we're all volunteer. And um, feel free to call me. My phone number is on the website and discuss volunteer opportunities. And um, we're all volunteer. And, and please participate in World Animal Hero Kids Month because we're going to make the biggest difference yet globally. And, oh, and but Sean, I didn't mention that Susan and I are both in a film and uh, I'm part of, of the film called A Prayer for Compassion. So I don't know if you've seen that, Renee, but maybe your mom would really like it because this is a film to speak to people of faith of, of any spiritual tradition about how vegan values are really part of every spiritual tradition on earth. And we're very proud to say that this beautiful film from Thomas Wade Jackson, who's the documentarian, is now streaming on Amazon Prime. You know, families, they, they, need, to, they need to see the, the handwriting on the wall. And what we as vegans must do, all of us, I, I, I'm going to always use any platform I can to say this. We've got to find a way to save all these animals that are going to be exiting the food system. Right now, I'm looking for a home for 200 cows. Mm. Not two, 200. And so we are, and this is going to get worse, not better. See, ethically, I can't make a decision to slaughter animals and then tell the rancher to come talk to me about converting their farm. See, ethically, mm -hmm. I, I'm not I'm not wired that way. But these are hard decisions that people are having to make. And it is incumbent upon those of us that are ethically bound to do what's right is to figure out how to give these animals back to the earth. And in order to do that, we got to get land grants. We got to get masses, massive amounts of people together. And that's the reason why we have the, uh, the RAP coalition. And so we can get the right people involved to help us save these animals that are exiting the system. Because see, these families are going to be at a loss. They're just going to want to slaughter their animals and move on down the road. And, you know, we're, we're only one entity. You know, gratefully, you know, Miyoko's getting in the game. Uh, Mercy for Animals is getting in the game. And, you know, we, we've got to all work together to, you know, really do what we can to help the, the farmers and ranchers. You know, they really are doing what they know to do. And, um, you know, our motto is we are veganizing the farmers, their families, their land, and the planet. And what, it's not just about changing a farmer and getting him, getting him to grow plants instead, and they're still eating animals. Our mission is to veganize the farmer, their family, their land, which means to get the land solid again, back to what it needs to be, so that animals can be returned back to the land the way it should be. You know, I hope I answered your question. It's a tough question to answer. All right, guys, this is Mintai, founder and CEO of Hodo Foods. I'm with Sean and Alba of SoFlow Vegans. When you first started, like how, what did you do to start getting into these big chains? I know Publix wasn't the first one. So like right. talk, take me to that process because I'm sure that was an exciting thing to happen. Yeah, you know, I think, I think we, we always see ourselves as a sustainable business, meaning that 
we're not chasing after some big numbers. We just want to build slowly. And, you know, we started the farmer's markets. Mm. We still support the farmer's markets. You know, today, it's like the greatest source of, of buying. Like you're supporting the farmers, the operator. It, it's really a communal thing. So we started there and the chefs, the consumers, they were so excited to have us that very quickly we grew from the farmer's market to becoming sort of like the go-to tofu uh, plant-based ingredients for restaurants. You know, like we were the first to be on the menus of Michelin star restaurants, mm. you know, just like, you know how people put down Nyman meat, Nyman ranch meat, like it's like Hodo tofu, Hodo Yuba. So Hodo became a brand, the first plant-based brand to be on menus. And, you know, that's how we ended up working with Chipotle, right? Like mm, that's huge. CEO, all their chefs, they're like, dude, we want a plant-based option and looking around looking at food with integrity. They looked at Hodo and they're like, you guys fit right in. So we work with them to develop the Sofritas, which is, you know, nationally sold. And it's the only plant-based ingredient product at Chipotle. Um, we've worked with them for almost a decade for that. So these are just examples of how the farmer's market launched us. And then from there, you know, Whole Foods came after us and said, hey, you know, can you package this for our grocery stores? So we grew very organically, you know, from our region in the Bay Area to California, to the West Coast, to the East Coast, to the Midwest. And um, Publix remains one of our biggest customers. And we're very new to Publix. So we're excited to grow with Publix. We're excited to really get your region to start to, to get to know us. And, and to start tasting and buying and, and, you know, letting us know how we do over there. Um, because you're, you're the newest region that we added on. And Publix is really the best customer we can have in that region. Oh, Mr. Ming, what part of Asia? Are, are you from Vietnam? Yeah, I grew up in Vietnam. Yeah. What about yourself? So my family's from um, the Sichuan province in China. Okay, how'd you end up in Florida? Uh, my grandfather escaped from China during the Japanese um, Chinese War in the early 1900s. Then he moved. A lot of the Asians were moving to Peru to work on the rice fields. Oh, wow. And then he met my great grandmother. Uh, she was of Spaniard descent. Back then in the day, they weren't able to intermarry. They ran away together, and that's how my line end started. Um, and then my mom decided to move us over here because my grandmother had decided to come and visit her one of her sons here. So that's wow. how we kind of. Yeah, so, I'm very so mixed. <laughs> Peruvian. Yes, I'm Peruvian Chinese. Oh wow. There's a huge population of, of sort of Peruvian Asian. And oh, yeah. I actually know I actually know quite a few um sort of Jamaican and Caribbean Chinese mix. <laughs> yeah, there is. Oh There's yeah, like my buddy's half Guyanese, half Chinese. Uh -huh. He lives uh -huh. in Florida. It's crazy. In Jamaica there's a lot of Chinese and then also in Cuba there's a lot of Chinese. Yeah. So, so my, my grandparents are not dissimilar to yours, Alba, but instead of going all the way to Peru, they just went south and went to Vietnam. So your family's also of Chinese descent, yes. but. So okay. like during that time when your grandparents left, uh -huh. like a lot of people left China, 
most of them actually went to Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Thailand, right, right. Uh, Indonesia. And then those who are more intrepid would go all the way to the West Coast, to the Caribbean, to South America. So that's how we spread out, the whole diaspora spread out. And now we're everywhere. You can't keep us away. So think about, you know, that's something, Sean. Can we do, or I know this is just an idea. I'm just thinking like some form of tofu that is Jamaican inspired, something along yeah, the way. We want to thank Susan Hargreaves, Renee Kingsonen, and Victoria Moran for joining us in today's episode. Remember, you can watch this and 18 other panels by registering to become a SoFlow Vegans member or partner. We have both free and monthly sustainer options, so check it out at SoFlowVegans.com support. We also want to thank Hodo Foods for their ongoing support for our community. Be sure to try their amazing tofu at most major supermarkets. Visit their page at hodofoods.com to check for local retailers in your neighborhood. We are also looking for your support to help spread the word about our podcast. If you enjoy our episodes, now is your chance to let us know. You can leave a voicemail using a link on the show notes, share the link of the episode to your friends through social media, write a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Bottom line, we want to hear from you. When you share, be sure to tag us at SoFlow Vegans so we can show you some love. From time to time, we like to give back to our supporters, so be sure to let us know what you're thinking and we look forward to hearing from you. To check for past episodes and more, go to SoFlowVegans.com where you can even download our brand new mobile app. Some other things you can do, you can check for job listings, see our events calendar, and our massive directory of vegan resources, local businesses, cookbooks, documentaries, and so much more. So even if you don't live in South Florida, this would be an amazing resource for you or anyone that you know that's vegan. So check us out next week for a brand new episode of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. <laughs>